Welcome back to the Stock Car Racing Time Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Naiman. Today, you're listening to Episode 21, the 1997 running of the Pocono 500 from Long Pond, Pennsylvania. This would be the 13th stop on the NASCAR Winston Cup Tour. So if you're familiar with NASCAR racing, you know that Pocono is one of the most unique tracks on the NASCAR circuit. Instead of a traditional oval, it's actually shaped like a triangle and has just three turns. A long front stretch leads to the most highly banked first turn. Then after a short run down the back stretch, the cars head into the tight tunnel turn in turn two. And then they head down the short chute, which connects to a long sweeping third turn that leads back onto the front straightaway. And the front straightaway, of course, is the longest straightaway in all of NASCAR racing. So coming into this race, Terry Labonte had the points lead after a crazy race at Dover. Labonte didn't even finish in the top 10, but he was able to hang on to the points lead as all everyone else in the top five in points had trouble with the exception of Mark Martin. Jeff Gordon was second in points, 37 points bar- back. Mark Martin continued his red-hot streak with the second-place finish at Dover, now with 78 points back. We'd already documented Dale Jarrett's really having three races in a row where he had engine problems at Talladega, the Coca-Cola 600 at Charlotte, and at Dover. Jeff Burton had a good day and was now fifth in points, 210 points back. And the top 10 in points included Earnhardt in sixth, Bobby Labonte in seventh, Ricky Rudd in eighth, Michael Waltrip in ninth, and Bill Elliott was sitting 10th in points. A couple of other notables included Rusty Wallace, 13th in points, and Daryl Waltrip was 18th in points. Qualifying for the Pocono 500 would find Bobby Hamilton on the pole, driving the number 43 STP Pontiac for Petty Enterprises. Dale Jarrett was second fastest. Great qualifying effort for Ward Burton. He would start third. Greg Sachs grabbed the fourth qualifying spot. He was driving the number 40 car for Robbie Gordon, who was still trying to bounce back from those burns that he suffered in the Indy 500. Bill Elliott would get the fifth starting position. Ricky Rudd, coming off his first win of the season at Dover, would start sixth. Terry Labonte would start in the seventh position. Daryl Waltrip would start eighth. There was a lot of optimism as Waltrip was very strong in most of the practice sessions. John Andretti in the number 98 car would start ninth. Good qualifying for effort for Rick Mast in 10th. Jeff Gordon would start 11th, but he was very strong in the Saturday practice sessions after qualifying. Dale Earnhardt was 12th fastest. Wally Dollenbach was back running the 46th first union car for Felix Sabat as he qualified 13th. Mark Martin had 14th fastest lap, and Hutch Strickland rounded out the top 15 in qualifying. Other notables included Rusty Wallace qualifying 16th, Jeff Burton qualified 18th. Bobby Labonte had the 23rd fastest qualifying lap. Ted Musgrave, who always runs well at Pocono, was 31st quickest. Michael Waltrip had the 32nd fastest lap. Jimmy Spencer was 34th quickest, the hometown favorite. Ken Schrader and Cal Petty both had to take provisionals in 39th and 40th position, respectively. The did not qualifies for the race included Chad Little, who had now missed five of the first 13 races for the new number 97 John Deere team. Billy Standards continued to struggle in the number 78 car. This was his ninth missed race in 13 races. And the final driver who missed the race was Dave Marcus, who had three DNQs now for the season, uh, but was on kind of a bad streak after making nine of the first 10 races. He had now missed two of the past three races. So the big stories coming in the Pocono was the crazy race last week at Dover. So almost everyone in the points had trouble. It was a wild race where, The leader had trouble multiple times in the race. In fact, Dale Jarrett twice as the leader. He got wrecked by Jeff Gordon. Then he blew an engine. 
Ernie Irvin spun out with the lead. Bobby Labonte crashed. Jeff Gordon ran into Dale Jarrett and had a radiator problem. So it was just a really wacky race that kind of scrambled the points. Um, so as they headed to Pocono, it's always a unique track. You always wonder about fuel mileage because it was a race that could get long green flag runs. You also wonder about reliability of cars. It's a track that's very tough on engines because of the shifting too as well. So the Pocono 500 would be run on June 8th, 1997. It's a two and a half mile track. That would mean that we would have 200 laps to make up the 500 mile distance. So Bobby Hamilton and Dale Jarrett, who were on the pole, led the field to the green flag, and Hamilton was able to quickly grab the lead in turn one. Dale Jarrett got caught up on the outside, and Greg Sachs and Ward Burton were both able to race past Dale Jarrett. Dale Jarrett was shuffled all the way back to the eighth position after just the first lap. Jeff Gordon was on a charge early in the race. He had started 11th and already worked his way up to the fifth position in the first three laps. Bobby Hamilton, though, had built a pretty significant lead. He had a 1.4 second lead after just four laps. And when TNN Motors came back from commercial, Jeff Gordon had moved up to the third position. I got to give this note. I should have said this before we had the green flag, but TNN had an absolutely hilarious and great intro to this race. So they were talking about last week in Dover and all the craziness that happened. So they talked, of course, about Yogi Bear, who had the famous line, it ain't over till it's over. They're talking about how Dover, how it looked like all these different drivers are going to win, and they eventually had problems. And then, of course, they were also re referencing the races and over to the Fat Lady Sings, too, as well. And they did a good job referencing this throughout the entire race. So you know, uh, TNN at that time, Eli Gold was the play-by-play uh, -play announcer, now known as the voice of Alabama football. Uh, you had Mike – I'm sorry, not at Mike Joy. You had Dick Bergeron and Buddy Baker. They were the other people up in the booth. They were your color announcers. And then on Pitt Road, of course, you always had Steve Burns, you had Glenn Jarrett, and you typically had Matt Yoakum, too, as well. So they, throughout the race, continued to talk about just, it isn't over the fat lady singing and making funny references to it. And just in general, I, the TNN crew, I always think, was kind of an underrated crew. You know, I think we all tended to think, eh, ESPN probably got a little bit better cameras, a little bit better pr production value. But TNN had its charm to it. Um, they actually, at that time in 1997, had a scroll that ran across the top that showed all the drivers finishing positions for the major running positions for the majority of the race. Well, ESPN usually just had their top 10 pal on and then gave an, an update with the full running order every 10 minutes or so. So anyways, as the, they came back from commercial, Jeff Gordon had moved up to third position. He was actually pressuring Greg Sachs to move up in the second position as the cars earned turn one. And Gordon did not touch Sachs, but Sachs got very loose. The car looped around, and he slammed the outside retaining wall, driver's side. Very hard contact with the car. Um, he would not finish the race, not be able to complete any more laps, and finish 42nd. And the commentators were talking about, of course, Sachs had broken his foot uh, earlier in the year at a practice accident at Greenville Pickens Speedway, preparing for one of the short track races, and that he was really hoping for a good run. And there were a lot of rumors surrounding whether Robbie Gordon would be back in the number 40 car at all. And Sachs was hoping to impress Felix Sabatis and hopefully get the opportunity to maybe get in that ride. So this was the first caution of the race on lap 10. And the announcers pointed out that Jeff Byrne, the number 99 car, had damaged his right front fender. But this was not due to checking up for the wreck of the number 40 car or anything like that. Uh, also, John Andretti and Bill Elliott had the pit, pit, decided to pit as they were running toward the back. 
And Steve Burns reported that Bill Elliott was concerned that he had a broken brake rotor. Uh, and the team was very concerned about it, but they did send him back out. So the race restarted on lap 14. And the top four, the top five was Bobby Hamilton, Jeff Gordon, Ward Burton, Ricky Rudd, and Terry Labonte. About 18 laps in the race, they were showing some really good hard racing for about from about 15th place on back. But things had kind of stabilized up front. But Jeff Gordon was able to get around Bobby Hamilton just before the tunnel turn and take the lead on lap 20. Gordon, though, would slip on the next lap, and Bobby Hamilton would regain the lead. And as they came back from commercial, Eli Gold reported that Jeff Gordon had faded all the way to the 13th position, and his crew had concerns that he had a flat right rear tire. All of a sudden, Hamilton was slow on the racetrack, and it was clear that he had a flat right front tire. This gave Ward Burton in the number 22 car the opportunity to take the lead on lap 24. Jeff Gordon pitted and was able to put four tires on the race car, and because he was further enough to the front of the field, and because laps take somewhere between 53 and 54 seconds to complete at Pocono, Gordon was able to stay on the tail end of the lead lap. Bobby Hamilton decided to change just right side tires. 25 laps into the race, Ward Burden was the leader, Terry Labonte was running second, Ricky Rudd was in third, Darrell Waltrip was charging up through the field in fourth, and Dale Jarrett was running fifth. Jeff Burton and Mark Martin were able to both pass Dale Earnhardt for sixth and seventh position in back-to-back laps. The leaders began pitting around lap 35. Ward Burden pitted, and that gave Terry Labonte the chance to take the lead. But Ward Burden had a very poor pit stop. It took over 25 seconds, and they were very slow on the left side tires. When Terry Labonte pitted, Ricky Craven inherited the lead, and he was able to lead one lap. After Craven pitted, Mike Skinner was able to lead two laps. So remember that some of the drivers toward the back of the field had pitted under that first caution around lap 11 or 12. So if you can run, you know, 38 laps or so, they probably could go to somewhere to lap 50. Some might even be able to run 100 miles and get 40 laps into as well. Bill Elliott was able to get around Mike Skinner in the tunnel turn on lap 42, and Elliott was able to inherit the lead. And he, of course, had a little bit more fuel in his car because he had had, they were checking out the the brake rotor issue with him under the previous pit stop. John Andretti was able to pass Michael Waltrip getting into turn three, and he moved into the second position. Bill Elliott decided to pit on lap 48, and John Andretti was able to grab the lead. It wasn't a real great stop for Bill Elliott either, taking about 22 and a half seconds as they were slow changing the left front. Then Jeff Green, another person who had pitted under that initial caution and running just his second race for the number 29 Diamond Ridge Motorsports team, he was able to grab the lead, and he actually led five laps. But then Daryl Waltrip grabbed the lead on lap 53. So that means we had Daryl Waltrip in the lead, Dale Jarrett running second, Terry Labonte in third, Ward Burden in fourth, Ricky Rudd in fifth, and with the cycle of pit stops, Jeff Gordon had moved into the sixth position. So it was bad news for Bill Elliott after running up front. TNN came back from commercial to say that he definitely had a broken brake rotor and they were trying to replace it on pit, pit road. Back on the racetrack, Dale Jarrett was able to pass Darrell Waltrip and grab the lead on lap 59. The second caution of the race came out on lap 60 when Bobby Labonte spun by himself in turn one and came to rest just at the conclusion of turn one on the short shoot. There was significant damage to the nose of his race car. Brett Bodine decided to stay out under caution and was able to lead two laps. After the conclusion of yellow flag pit stops, Darryl, Dale Jarrett was the leader. Darrell Waltrip was running second. Jeff Green was running third. Terry Labonte was in fourth. 
Wardburn was fifth. Jeff Gordon was sixth. Rusty Wallace was in seventh. Good day for Derek Cope in eighth. Jeremy Mayfield was in ninth. And Joe Nemechek was running in the 10th position. Just after his pit stop, Rusty Wallace unfortunately had to come back in the pits as his bad luck in the 1997 season continued. This time, the passenger side window of his car was out of place and the crew had to rivet it back in place. The race would really start on lap 65 and Daryl Waltrip thrilled the crowd by passing Dale Jarrett in a tunnel turn as Jarrett was shuffled back to the fourth position. DW was able to lead lap 66, but then on the next lap, Owensboro, Kentucky native Jeff Green passed Daryl Waltrip in the tunnel turn and took the late lead on lap 67. So a few laps after the restart, we now had Jeff Green leading, Daryl Waltrip in second, Ward Burton in third, Terry Labonte fourth, and now Jeremy Mayfield was running fifth. So we had an impressive three drivers from the same town, Owensboro, Kentucky, running in the top five. Gordon was able to pass Dale Jarrett and Jeremy Mayfield and move himself into the fifth position on lap 69. On lap 74, Darrell Waltrip continued to thrill the fans as he again took the race lead. This lead, though, would be short-lived. A few laps later, Ward Burden was able to get to the inside of Darrell Waltrip in turn one, and he would come all the way back around, and on lap 77, he would officially have regained the lead. Dale Jarrett and Gordon were both able to pass DW move in the second and third position, and Waltrip was relegated back to the fourth position. A few laps later, Mike Skinner blew his engine and was out of the race, finishing 41st. Jeremy Mayfield continued a strong run. He had moved up to the fourth position around lap 80, as he had taken that spot from Darrell Waltrip. On the next lap, Jeff Gordon was able to grab the second position from Dale Jarrett. But Jarrett was able to get back around Gordon in the tunnel turn on the next lap. It was reported on the racetrack that the number 77 car Bobby Hillen was smoking. This was not surprising. This team had had an extremely difficult season with lots of DNFs. And if you look back at the official race reports, falling had a lot of races with oil leaks. So I don't know what the deal with that was, but they seem to always, almost every race, have an oil leak. On lap 85, Jerry Mayfield continued his charge through the field. He got around Dale Jarrett and placed himself in the second position. Two drivers who had a tough season but were having good days so far at Pocono was Derek Cope in the number 36 Skittles Pontiac. He was running ninth, and Hutch Strickland was having a good day in the number 8 Circuit City Stavola Brothers Ford. He was in the 10th position. The top five was Ward Burden leading, Jeff Gordon in second, Jeremy Mayfield in third, Dale Jarrett fourth, and Jeff Burden in fifth. And Ward Burden had built up a pretty substantial lead. Ward and Jeff Burden both decided to pit, and this gave Jeremy Mayfield the opportunity to lead two laps. This was the first time all season that Mayfield had led in the number 37 car, and it was his first time leading a race since the 1996 Southern 500 back at Darlington. Dale Jarrett, Jeff Burden, and Darrell Waltrip all decided to pit, as well as Jeremy Mayfield. This gave the opportunity for a couple other drivers who had pitted on that earlier caution a chance to lead. That included Ted Musgrave, Jeff Green, who led it halfway and picked up the $10,000 Gatorade leaders bonus, and Jeff Bodine all led laps during the green flag pit stops. After it all cycled back around, Ward Ward Burden was able to gain the lead back on lap 104. Jeff Gordon was in second. Jeff Burden was in third. Dale Jarrett was fourth. Joe Nemechek was fifth. Jeremy Mayfield was sixth. Dale Earnhardt was in seventh. Morgan Shepard had moved up to the eighth position. A note on Morgan Shepard, the number one car had finally found sponsorship 
from RNL carriers, and it looked like that they were going to continue to sponsor the car for the entire season. Now, it was interesting, noted on the TNN broadcast, they said there was a lot of questions about whether Morgan would continue to drive this car. Derek Cope was running ninth, and Ernie Irvin was in the 10th position. Jeff Gordon was starting to close in a little bit on Ward Burton. At one point, he was about two seconds behind, but now he was just a second behind Ward. Darrell Waltrip, who had run so strong earlier in the race, was beginning to fade back, and he had dropped back to the 17th position. Jeremy Mayfield had worked his way up to the 4th position, and Mark Martin was now running 10th. After all the tire, early tire problems that Bobby Hamilton has experienced, he had worked his way up to the 16th position. Jeff Burden was able to get around Gordon for second position, and he now trailed his brother by about two and a half seconds. The TV reported that Rusty Wallace was really struggling and having an uncharacteristically poor day at Pocono. He was still on the lead lap, but he was all the way back in the 29th position. After Jeff Burden and Gordon swapped around second position, they both began to close in on Ward Burden. It would be a tough day for John Andretti in the number 98 RCA Ford Thunderbird for Kale Yarbrough. He had an engine problem and would be credited with a 40th place finish. With 73 laps to go, Ward Burden continued to lead. Jeff Burden was second. Jeff Gordon was third. Dale Jarrett was fourth. Jeremy Mayfield was in fifth. Joe Nemechek was sixth. Mark Martin, seventh. Morgan Shepard, eighth. Dale Earnhardt had moved up to ninth. And Ernie Irvin was in the tenth position. Jeff Burden wanted to get the lead, and he tried to pass his brother in the low side in turn three. But unfortunately, he got the car bogged down, and Jeff Gordon was able to swing to the outside of Jeff Burden, and he finished the pass off on the outside of the front stretch and moved into the second position. The third caution of the race came out on lap 132 due to a wreck involving Bobby Hamilton in turn one. It had been such a promising start to the day for Bobby Hamilton, who had led early in the race from the pole until he got that flat tire just past the 20-lap mark of the race. Unfortunately, he had to limp about half of the way around the track, and he was just behind the eight ball from that point forward after the flat tire, battling back to get his track position. The crash damage would result in a did-not-finish for Bobby Hamilton, and he would finish in the 39th position. All the leaders pitted under the yellow flag, knowing that they would need a, one more pit stop after this. Jeff Gordon beat everyone out of the pits, Ward Burden second, Jeff Burden third, Mark Varden fourth, Joe Nemechek in fifth, and Jeremy Mayfield was in the sixth position. The race would restart on lap 139, and not soon after, the TV crew was reporting that Ward Burden's car was smoking. Unfortunately for Ward, he had blown the engine and would have finished in 39th position. The crew also pointed out that Ward was someone that was reporting that he was going to shift three times a race, which can be especially hard on equipment. Ward, who had gotten off to a pretty decent start to the season just by being consistent, not necessarily having the greatest finishes, had now had three engine-related problems in the last four points-paying races as he had engine problems at Talladega, Charlotte, and Pocono. He had had a great day. He had led 60 laps of the race, and he had reported in an interview in the garage area that he had to switch ignitions earlier in the race and possibly overtack the engine and wondered aloud if he had damaged the engine. The race would restart on lap 147, and there wouldn't be much change in position over the next couple of laps. So with 50 laps to go, Jeff Gordon was the leader. Jeff Burden was running second. Joe Nemechek was up to the third position. Great day for Joe Nemechek. Jeremy Mayfield was running fourth. 
Dale Jarrett was fifth. Mark Martin was sixth. Morgan Shepard was seventh. Ricky Craven had worked his way up to the eighth position. Derek Cope was hanging in there in ninth, and Dale Earnhardt was in tenth. Daryl Waltrip was running 11th at this time, and Terry Labonte was in the 13th position. It was reported by the pit reporters that it was getting more overcast over the racetrack, and Jeff Gordon had pulled away to about a half a second lead on the number 99 car of Jeff Burton. With 40 laps to go, or 100 miles, Gordon led, Burton was second, Mayfield was third, Dale Jarrett was fourth, Mark Martin was fifth, Morgan Shepard was sixth, Cope was in seventh, Daryl Waltrip was in eighth, and Ricky Craven was in ninth. Jeff Gordon was being the, beginning to pull away from Jeff Burton and had about a 1.4 second lead with 35 laps to go. There was more heartbreak for another underdog driver who had been having a strong run for most of the day, and that was Joe Nemechek. He pulled into the pits with approximately 35 laps to go, reporting that it was an engine problem, and he was out of the race with a did-not-finish, finishing in the 36th position. Dale Jarrett was able to get around Jeremy Mayfield, and move his way into the third position. Mark Martin decided to pit from the fifth position on lap 172, and they pitted for just two tires. Jeff Burden and Jeremy Mayfield both decided to take four tires, but Dale Jarrett decided to gamble and take just right side tires as he had took two tires as well. This brought Gordon to pit road as he didn't want drivers to have too much of a tire advantage on him, and he pitted for four tires at an 18.8 second pit stop. Ted Musgrave was able to inherit the lead on lap 175, but the TV announcers again emphasized that no driver is going to make it all the way on fuel. Darrell Waltrip decided to pit for two tires, and Burden was able to pass Dale Jarrett after he beat him out of the pits during the green flag pit stops. Ted Musgrave finally pitted on lap 185, and Jeff Gordon was able to inherit the lead. Musgrave's Roush team decided to give him just fuel only with just 15 laps to go and this ended up to be a pretty smart decision. With 15 laps left to go in the race, Gordon led, Jeff Burden was in second, Dale Jarrett was third, Mark Martin was fourth, Martin's teammate Ted Musgrave was fifth. That gave Jack Roush three of the top five drivers running. Mayfield was sixth, Darrell Waltrip was seventh, Earnhardt was eighth, Jeff Bonine was ninth, and Terry Labonte was tenth. Gordon had a two-and-a-half-second lead on Jeff Burton. With 10 laps to go, Burton had nibbled into the lead slightly and dropped the deficit to 1.9 seconds. Dale Jarrett and Mark Martin, who were battling for third and fourth position, were finding themselves almost four seconds behind the leaders. With eight laps to go, the lead actually jumped back up to a 2.3-second lead for Jeff Gordon. With five laps to go, it was heartbreak for Jeff Green, starting his second Winston Cup race for the number 29 team. He had had some previous starts in other seasons. He had led 15 laps, but eventually would be credited with a 35th place finish. With three laps to go, Gordon led, Burden was second, Jarrett was third, Mark Martin was fourth, and Jeremy Mayfield was fifth. Jeff Bodine was able to pass Dale Earnhardt and move up into the eighth position with two laps to go. The white flag came out, and Jeff Gordon had a great lead, and the TNN announcers again began to joke about the fat lady being on the premises and getting ready to get up on the stage and sing. Gordon was able to easily make his car back around and cross the start-finish line. Gordon picked up his sixth win of the 1997 Winston Cup season in 13 starts. It was his 25th career win, and Gordon had led for 59 laps. This was actually one lap less than Ward Burton. Although Burton's day had ended in the garage area, he had led 60 laps, which means he would get the five additional NASCAR Winston Cup points for leading the most laps. 
Jeff Court Burton, who had had an excellent record on super speedways in the 1997 season, finished second. It was a good bounce-back effort for Dale Jarrett after three tough points-paying races. He finished third and led five laps. Although Mark Martin didn't lead any laps, he came home in fourth and now had seven consecutive top fives in a row. It was a great day for Jeremy Mayfield and number 37 Kmart RC Cola car for Michael Cranifest. He had now had back-to-back top five finishes, finished fifth in the race today, and had been able to lead two laps. Ted Musgrave made it three rash cowers in the top six as he finished sixth, leading 11 laps, and his crew had made an excellent decision to take fuel only on the last pit stop, which was able to pick him up some nice track position. It was a very competitive day for Daryl Waltrip. He came home in the seventh position and had his moments leading the race too as well. He'd actually led nine laps. It was the second best finish of the season for Daryl Waltrip. He had had a great day at Sears Point and finished with a top five. Jeff Bodine finally avoided the engine gremlins and came home with an eighth place finish. Terry Labonte was ninth, and that meant that in 17 of the past 19 NASCAR Winston Cup races, he had finished in at least the top 10. Dale Earnhardt came home 10th, but his 39 race, he still had a, his rate losing streak was now extended to 39 races. Derek Cope just missed out on the top 10 coming home 11th. Morgan Shepard in the number one car finished 12th. Michael Waltrip was 13th. Cal Petty finished 14th. And Sterling Marlin finished in the 15th position. Other notable finishers included Ricky Rudd, who finished 21st. Rudd had had a very strong car, but he had got caught out having making an early pit stop and then the caution came out and he was a lap down and he had to try to fight back from that. It was uncharacteristically tough day for Rusty Wallace. He finished just 22nd at one of his best racetracks. Ernie Irvin was 29th and Bobby Labonte, who had that spin early in the race, finished in the 35th position. The race took three hours, 34 minutes and 33 seconds to complete. The average miles per hour of the race was just under 140 miles per hour. It was a pretty clean race with just four cautions for 22 laps. Jeff Gordon's margin of victory over Jeff Burden was 1.415 seconds. There were 25 lead changes among 14 drivers. Jeff Gordon's sixth win of the 1997 Winston Cup season and 13 starts had gotten him into a tie with Terry Labonte for the points lead. Now, the tiebreaker for the points lead is most wins, and Gordon had six victories on the season, and Terry Labonte had, at this point in time, not won a race. Third in points was Mark Martin. He was just 61 points out of the points lead and had an amazing stretch of seven straight top five finishes, which included two wins at Sears Point in Talladega. Dale Jarrett finally got back on track after three difficult races that were hampered by engine problems he came home fourth and trailed the points leader jeff gordon and terry labonte by 129 points jeff burden was fifth in points 183 points back dale Earnhardt set sixth in points bobby labonte was seventh in points ricky rudd was eighth in points michael waltrip was ninth in points and jeremy mayfield was rounding out the top 10. other notables included bill elliott in 11th rusty wallace in 12th and daryl waltrip in the 14th position so the point standings are obviously always a big deal, and almost all the points leaders had the opportunity to have a good bounce back and have a pretty good day, other than Bobby Labonte, who had had that spin. But I think one of the biggest stories of Pocono 500 was the heartbreak for some of the more underdog drivers. So Bobby Hamilton had started the race on the pole. He had led in the early going, looked like he had an extremely good race car when he cut that right front tire. 
by the time he was able to limp back around to the pits, a lot of time had been lost and Hamilton was going to be forced to be toward the back of the field and have to try to regain his track position. Unfortunately, it wasn't to be, and Hamilton crashed out of the race and had to settle for a 39th place run. Ward Burden had had a glorious day in the number 22 MBNA Pontiac for Bill Davis Racing. He had led 60 laps, nearly edging Jeff Gordon for the most laps led. Gordon had led 59. Unfortunately for Ward, the engine gremlins would get him too as well as he would finish in the 38th position. Jeff Green had showed a lot of promise early in the race, leading and being extremely competitive, but Green eventually had problems too as well and did not finish the race and finished 31st. Bill Elliott had all those issues with his brake rotors, and by the time the crew was able to make repairs, there would be no chance for victory for Bill Elliott. He would come home finishing in the 32nd position. With 40% of the 1997 NASCAR Winston Cup season complete, it was looking like a four-man race for the NASCAR Winston Cup championship. Jeff Gordon had won six races, and he was the co-points leader, but had the points lead technically on Terry Labonte because he had won more races. Gordon had won six of the first 13 races, and he was the only Chevy driver who had visited victory lane. Terry Labonte was continuing to be his consistent self with a ton of top 10 finishes. But one important thing to note was Labonte wasn't quite getting the top fives that he was in the 1996 season. He was having a lot of solid runs, but he wasn't getting into the top five for those second, third, and fourth place runs that he had gotten so much in 1996. So that had to be a little bit of concern for Labonte. He really hadn't had a race where he'd had a major problem, but despite all that, and that Jeff Gordon had had three races where he had poor finishes, Labonte had to be a little bit concerned that he was just currently tied with Jeff Gordon. Also, the majority of Labonte's top five seemed to either be on restrictor play tracks, road courses, or short tracks. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but as we know, in the 1997 season, the NASCAR Winston Cup schedule was dominated by intermediate tracks, those tracks that were greater than one mile in length, but were not restrictor plate tracks. And those races had not been the greatest for Labonte. Places like Darlington and Charlotte, he had not run incredibly well. He'd had a good day at Texas, but beyond that, hadn't shown a lot of strength in the intermediate tracks so far. For Dale Jarrett, it had to feel to get back good to get back on track. He had had those three engine problems in a row and he had a good day at Pocono, a type of track that usually is good to Yates racing, heavy horsepower track. So Jarrett seemed to be having things going back in the right direction. Mark Martin continued to be red hot. He now had seven straight top five finishes and he was showing that he was going to be a serious contender for the NASCAR Winston Cup championship. They seem to have a good handle on the intermediate tracks. Mark always is a good short track racer and you know that he would do a solid job in the remaining road course race at Watkins Glen, too, as well. And this is what I really loved about mid and late 90s NASCAR and even early 2000 NASCAR before the chase. Every race truly meant something. If this was the era of the chase, Jeff Gordon would have been locked in and just going crazy for wins in every race. Dale Jarrett wouldn't have been concerned about the engine problems that he was experiencing. Terry Labonte would have been trying to really push really hard to get a win which not that there's anything wrong with that, but it really made every week important. Every week was equally important in terms of how you were going to perform and what that was going to mean in the points. No race was favored more than the other just because it was at the end of the season. So with that in mind, the points race would go to the following week in Brooklyn, Michigan for the running of the 1997 Miller 400. 
For the Stock Car Racing Time Machine Podcast, I'm your host, Tim Naiman. Thanks for listening.